0: Hi, everyone. I'm Sheikh, and welcome to another episode of Humans of AI, where we meet the amazing people building the tech that's changing our world. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Vinish Sukumar, who's the head of AI product management over at Qualcomm. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sheikh, for uh, having me on your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Desh, one of the earliest questions I have for you is that uh, you've obviously have a long career across different aspects of AI and done some pretty amazing things, which we'll definitely dive into. But if you had to describe your job to a five-year-old,
1: what would you say? I would say, you know, I'm not solving world hunger, but trying to make an attempt to in that direction. As I got plenty of problems, solve one problem at a time.
0: Well, you're you're uh, you know, with the things that outcome is up to, it'll certainly make a dent at least. Absolutely. That's yeah. the goal. Yeah. Well, uh, tell us about your, uh, your career overall and how you landed where you are. How did you make the decision to
1: focus on AI hardware? Yeah, sure. So I, and I should say, I started my professional career, give or take, at the Proportional Labs, mm-hmm. where one of my first jobs at that point of time was to classify images. It was, you know, large images taken up from a camera, and I had to classify trees, objects, buildings, gardens, those kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Those days was, I would say, our early integration into computer vision
0: yeah,
1: and uh, and also into classifying yeah. things. Now, the issue was, you know, it took me about three days to just get it completed using a magnifying glass, a ruler, a thin <laughs> classifying stuff. I had some information about geography and biology, yeah. so it was easy for me to classify stuff. So I go to my manager and say, you know, hey man, this is taking a long time, you know, and I simplify the stuff. If there's, no, we are paying you, you figure it out, okay? So kind of enter into you know assembly language, C I had some good experience there. Started writing some code and trying to understand how can I use simple code to start looking at classifying objects. That was my, I would say, my entry into automating computer vision those days, Mm -hmm. visually looking at visual things. And uh, slowly with time, you know, migrated into consumer products, worked at uh, Lenovo for some time in China, and then migrated to Israel, trying to work in automotive environment and PC environment to kind of get a perspective of different consumer devices. And then my interest you know, grew into a passion, really trying to understand what is the end goal? How do you make user experience much more better? How do you automate stuff? That's how I started getting more into AI. Even though I had my advanced degree in computer vision those days, it was very theoretical knowledge, right? It's not really practical, not put into consumer devices. That's how I started working on it. It Grew interesting. This amazing opportunity came up in Qualcomm where I was given the privilege, I should say, to think big and then obviously working with some fantastic colleagues of mine you know, translate that blue vision or blue sky vision into reality, right? So that's how I do AI pretty much these days. AI hardware, AI software, AI systems, all of those things. Can you share
0: any uh, public facing things that your team at Qualcomm is working on now that we might be seeing in the next couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, these days there's been a lot more interest on generative AI. Even my 65-year-old mom seems to be excited because <laughs> it somehow removes her wrinkles in her face, whenever she takes selfies, so yeah. that's exciting times. <laughs> So Gen AI seems to be making AI relevant to all age groups. Quite recently, I would say, I would say you know, about six months ago, in the Mobile World Congress in February of this year, mm-hmm. we announced the world that we have a stable diffusion working on an edge on a phone-based phone wow. factor. Historically, people thought, you know, if you want to do any kind of text-based image generation, it was only based on Dali. It was only working on the cloud using OpenAI. But we showcase that, you know, you could use open source models, convince kind of it running it on the edge, and we were able to get it done, give or take about 10 seconds. Uh, Same thing is, uh, you know, trying to do image to image transformation. For example, you capture an image, you want to replace the background based off a textual command, based of a voice command, you could do it instantaneously. So, you know, you're going to see, you know, commercial deployment of some of these most common applications going out next year mm-hmm. uh, And consumer devices like smartphones. And obviously it'll scale to other form factors like PC, automotive, and those kind of, you know, I would say verticals as well.
0: No, that's all exciting news. It it, it generally seems that the uh, the pace of innovation in the AI space is nonstop right now. There are 200 new releases every single day from all the big companies there. Uh, How do you stay up to date with the latest developments and figure out, what to apply
1: to your work at Qualcomm? I think to be, for my personal experience, what is relevant today is obsolete tomorrow, I would say in the space of AI. Mm-hmm. So I think the most important thing is for any person working in the space to be a constant learner, a constant student. And if you be a constant student, you would always look at resources where you can educate yourself. And this could be attending, you know, pretty good technical conferences. There are quite a few of them, depending upon your technical acumen, which conferences you want to attend. There's a lot of articles that get published up in, you know, in YouTube and or on LinkedIn. If you kind of subscribe to the right newsletters, try to understand what problem statements are. And, you know, they're quite a you know, set of interesting meetups that happen, in at least in my area where I from, mm-hmm. When people start discussing about, it, you know, issues, practical applications, how they have solved it, you know, and getting different perspectives. So I think as you start, you know, reading this, constant being in touch, you try to understand, okay, you know, people have done things differently. And maybe uh, we could use that exposure and experience to, you know, self-educate and then possibly apply that in your own application development as well.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you have a very uh, packed schedule overall, but do you still have any
1: time to uh, tinker with AI projects on the side as an individual? Oh, absolutely. You know, you know, the most important thing is, you know, I have two growing up daughters. Right? My expectation is be part of their life as much as possible and get them excited and keep them out of the idiot box as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> In this case, AKA TV or a laptop. So I try to give them some interesting projects. Obviously, based on of my exposure to programming languages and to AI is can they use that to do simple things? And sometimes it flops. That's fine. You know, at least you learn to crawl first before you learn to walk and run. But it at least lets them know what is possible using AI it could be as simple as you know, building, you know, getting into robotics using AI as an example, or a simple you know, artistic drawing using code language. So you know, as long as they keep them occupied and you know, finding it interesting, they get it going. So that's what I do. I'm pretty sure things will change as my daughters grow up, but at least that's my fourteen to how to practically use AI into their life.
0: Yeah, no, that that resonates quite a bit. I have uh, two young girls as well. They're six and eight. So how to introduce them Ted's the world is something I think about all the time. They- Looking more broadly, then within the within the team that you manage, focused on product management, it obviously lots of different types of people are needed to make that happen. There, outside of technical proficiency, what are some of the skills you think the the best people on your team have that allow them to differentiate themselves and keep growing in their AI?
1: I think a few important things, right? Obviously, the technical acumen is important. You need to be a student at heart. That's critical to be successful in that space. But I think the second thing is definitely having the right personality and character set to be successful in the space. The thing that actually clicked with me personally was, uh, I would say, you know, always have a certain amount of dynamic tension with your engineering counterparts. And does not mean that you question everything, you know, you fight for them for everything. But, you know, ask the assumptions. Why these assumptions are good? And make sure at the same time that you have a lot of strong assets and background to justify a certain ask. And if you happen to have a pretty good dynamic tension, I'm pretty sure the engineering community respects that and love it because they're getting challenged on why a certain direction has been taken, why a certain execution style has been taken, right? And if you're able to explain, hey, why certain product perspective, certain decisions have to be made, why compromises have to be made, and you're able to articulate that, well, people start to respect you. And I think that's important. Second thing is always be a good listener. Right, you know, uh, try to give an opportunity for the people to give their state of thoughts, what their opinion is, and try to understand their perspectives. Right. Even before you jump in and say, you no, know, it's completely wrong. I think respect that. And uh, if you're able to get to that level of diligence, I think you know it will develops some good handshakes, checks and you kind of build on it. So I think you know some of these basic feeds have helped me. I'm pretty sure uh, I could do more, but these some basic tips. Huh. Focusing more on those communication skills
0: that you Mentioned there, during the during the interview and recruiting process, are there any particular types of questions or scenarios you like to take candidates through
1: to assess those skills? Yeah, I mean, I, I try to really understand their analytical thinking process, how do they approach a problem statement? Like, you know, the question is this: not straight jumping into the right answer. But their thought process, how are they looking at certain things? How are they kind of coming to a conclusion? The conclusions can be totally wrong, but that's fine. At least the thought process kind of defines their uh, mental acumen, I would say, to a large extent. So that's at least gives me a good foundation. A second thing is, uh, I would probably look at, uh, you know, what are their cross-functional team skills? Because to be successful in the space of the AI, you've got to work with a variety of people, different personalities, different characters, how are you able to gel with them? And if they had any, uh, any kind of interpersonal challenges, and if they have, how have they overcome that? Having some practical examples would kind of give me a feed on the thought process. Mm -hmm. So kind of, you know, build on top of it. So that's what I kind of gauge towards before I kind of jump into the technical things. Because technical things, I think, you know, you can make up. But if you don't have the right character and personality, it becomes extremely difficult to survive in a cross-functional kind of a role.
0: Awesome. That's all great advice there. Along those lines, uh, say you were um, a university student today who's just graduating with a a CS master's and interested in exploring the world of AI, but often confused and confounded by the wider range of opportunities available everywhere. What type of direction would you give in uh, helping someone pick that first job as they think about a longer career in AI?
1: Well, my experience I've learned is your first job, try to develop as much breadth as possible. And don't try to be a specialist in your first job. Because the moment you get, you know, you, you try to develop speciality, you end up being a micro-specialist and a super-specialist, pigeonholed into doing one thing and one thing only, right? Mm-hmm. In the early phases of career, try to explore. You know, it's okay to fail, it's okay to fall, but at least you have a different perspective on different things. What not to do or how to get things done becomes the most important thing. So I would say, you know, try a different set of stuff because my expectation at that point of time is you got, you know, less of any family burden at that point of time or any kind of, you know, ton of responsibility. I'm sure they might, but, you know, usually when fresh grads coming out of college, like me, it is like a free bird. You know, I'm getting them my safety (laughs) cash. What do I do? Kind of stuff. So, you know, that's where I kind of, if, if I had an opportunity to go change myself as a younger person, wow. I would have learned more languages as an example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, try to get a little bit more understanding on statistics as an example, try to understand biology a little bit more as an example, because those things fundamentally help you in the future, right? And also have, you know, a passion for a different skill. The skill could be, you know, in music, it could be in sports, whatever it does, harness that. Because what I have seen in my personal life is you, you cannot be a bookworm and expect miracles, right? You, you, you got to have <laughs> your mind focused on something else only and only then. Once you get refreshed, you can come back to your technical assets. So, you know, I kind of have a passion towards that as well. And I'm pretty sure you will shine. Awesome.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Speaking of colleges there, I saw in your background that you're affiliated with a couple of colleges on the, as a, on a industry advisory board. Could you talk a bit more about what you do
1: in? that capacity. Sure. I mean, the the expectation at this point of time is, you know, uh, education session with the, some of the students expecting to graduate from the school and give them guidance on what the industry is, you know, because they're kind of entering the field at the very first time, you know, how they could be successful in that space is one aspect. Second aspect is more toward the university is how can we influence the academics, the physical collateral that goes into the books or the entire curriculum so that's much more meaningful for them mm-hmm. when they come out, right? It's not stale by any means. Yeah. So that way, it's, I guess, bi-directional. I learn from the students, what are they expecting? And we kind of give it back to the university and the students, what should be they doing so that they be successful when they come out from universities. Awesome. Cool. Well, and the very last question I have for
0: you, Vinesh, is if one of our listeners is interested in getting in touch with you, what would be the best
1: way to reach out? They can absolutely shoot me an email. I think all my information is mostly public, I believe, in LinkedIn. So okay. I kind of Great. maintain a pretty strong portfolio there. And they can absolutely reach out, contact me, and I'll will be glad to help out. Awesome, Vinesh. Well, this has been super helpful with
0: lots of uh, practical advice. Uh, thanks again for being a guest on Humans of AI. Thank you much, Shake, And I definitely had a lovely time talking to you today. This podcast is brought to you by H10. Part about advanced technology that never changes is the need for the right people to design, build, and manage it. H10 offers just that with an on-demand talented management service that covers all aspects of engineering, program management, and AI. Trusted by over 400 companies, including half of the Fortune 10, H10 is here to help lighten your load and make you the hero.